Welcome to Finding Freedom with Inspire Wellness. I'm Gemma, a body image and food freedom coach, anti-diet advocate, and your ultimate hype girl. I'm here to empower you with inspiration, education, and motivation so that you can start living as your happiest and healthiest self, whatever that means to you. I spent years struggling with food, my body, and my mental health until I finally found freedom. Now I'm on a mission to make sure that nobody goes through what I did and to burn diet culture to the ground while I'm at it. I'm obsessed with helping women to ditch the diets, love their bodies, feel confident AF, create sustainable habits, improve their mindset and become their next level selves. So what are we waiting for? Let's do this. Hello and welcome to another episode. I am coming at you live from Melbourne. I'm here for the rest of the year, which is very, very exciting. Means I'm coming to you from, well, not my childhood bedroom, my brother's, because I'm still turning it into an office while I'm here. Why not? (laughs) But I'm pumped for this episode today. I think this is going to be a fun one. I put a little poll on my Instagram stories and asked what you guys wanted me to talk about. And this was the overwhelming yes. You wanted to hear my five controversial opinions about food and bodies. And I thought, okay, I'll give the people what they want. So now this episode may be called my five controversial opinions, but let's be real. I've got more than five. (laughs) I love an unpopular opinion. I love ruffling feathers. I love going against the grain if it's for something that I believe in. So Today, I wanted to take you through five of my opinions that might be considered unpopular or controversial, because let's be real, like diet culture has a stranglehold over society and anyone stuck in it is probably going to be outraged by some of these. So sorry, not sorry. Let's get into it. Okay. So controversial opinion number one is cheat days are planned disordered eating. I had to kick it off with a bang. I had to cheat days. Cheat days are planned disordered eating. Like I said what I said. It is actually wild to me that people don't realize this and they think that cheat days are a healthy thing to do. Now, I used to believe this too. I thought that taking one day off from my rigid, clean, quote unquote, clean, strict diet was the healthy or balanced thing to do. And it's like, I think it's like we have these evolutions in diet culture. You go through a phase where anything unhealthy is like poison and you can never have it, like not even a little bit. And then you go through a phase where you realize that actually like being so military strict is actually maybe not the best thing. And it's better to have some balance in your life. So you introduce a cheat day or a cheat meal. And then you realize like, actually, maybe it's a bit better to spread that balance throughout the week and have, you know, one Fredo frog every day instead of eating seven blocks of chocolate on the weekend. And then you start to creep your way out of diet culture and you start saying this was all a terrible way to go about living your life and la, 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 rest is history. But in the meantime, if you're stuck in your cheat day phase, you're indulging in planned disordered eating. Like, think about it. You're literally living out that binge and restrict cycle on purpose. You restrict all week and then you have your cheat day on Saturday and you go and you smash a heap of takeaway or chocolate or donuts or whatever your vice is. And you feel like shit because you've just inhaled this unholy amount of food, like way more than your body actually wants or needs, all in the name of a cheat day. Like that's the binge part. You've got the restrict part all week and then you go and binge on the weekends. Like how is this considered a good thing to do? Like what? what? Think about it. 
It's also so common for people to take their cheat day or their cheat meal to the extreme. Like they're not just having a Mars bar and calling it a day. Like I remember there used to be this Instagram account, like whole Instagram accounts, plenty of them dedicated to cheat meals. And really there probably still is. I'm just in my nice little, you know, non-diet culture bubble, but they would have the most extreme meals they could find. And they'd recommend them as good cheat day meals. Like I think there was one called cheat days of Melbourne or cheat meals of Melbourne or something like that. And it was things like restaurants where they serve a meal that's made up of, you know, a 1.5 kilo Parma and a huge amount of chips and a pint of beer, or maybe like an insane cheeseburger that has 20 patties, 20 slices of cheese and weighs three and a half kilos or some unholy mix of, you know, two liters of ice cream with every single mix in you can think of like cold rock on steroids wild stuff, wild stuff that they would recommend. And like, I used to plan my cheat meals around how much food I could inhale in one sitting. And that's not uncommon. Like I would look at these pages and be like, Oh, that would be a good one. I couldn't just get like a medium six nuggy meal from McDonald's with a chalky thick shake, which is what would have satisfied that fried food craving that I had and filled me up to a comfortable level. Like, (laughs) Oh no. Oh no. There would have to be 20 nuggets plus a McChicken burger in a large meal with dessert. I'm like, that's just the beginning. That was just a chill day. And here's the thing though. Like it's not just these extreme meals that are disordered. You're still training your brain for that binge and restrict cycle or using food as reward or acting like vegetables and salad is the necessary evil that you have to get through to be allowed the good stuff. Even if your cheat meal is just, you know, a snack box from KFC. Do they still do those? I don't even know. Do they still do those? I don't know. You can tell I'm vegetarian and I don't go there anymore. Okay. That's my rant about cheat meals, planned disordered eating. Anyone who is encouraging cheat meals is encouraging eating disorders. I said what I said. Okay. Unpopular opinion. Number two is calories in calories out is BS. This is my favorite. This is my favorite unpopular opinion. I love, I love how this one just makes people like, Ooh, they get so mad. And I love watching like the gym bros get all flustered and have steam coming out their ears when someone dares to suggest that humans aren't robots who can be perfectly programmed with X amount of calories equaling Y body changes. Ugh. Now, everyone likes to be like, it's the law of thermodynamics, like calories in, calories out, it's how it works. First of all, you're wrong. The law of thermodynamics does not apply here. In fact, there is no law of thermodynamics. There are four of them. But basically, like people are referring to the first law when they say this. But that also doesn't apply either. Now, I'm going to read out the sciencey description of what that is because I do not have a sciencey brain who can remember that off the top of my head and, you know, retain that information. So the law is the first law states that in a thermodynamic process, the increment in the internal energy of a system is equal to the increment of heat supplied to the system minus the increment of work done by the system on its surroundings, which is often simplified to energy can neither be created nor destroyed. You can see why I couldn't do that off the top of my head. I am not a sciencey kind of gal, but like, Anyway, so this is not relevant. It's not relevant to the human body because the human body is not a perfect thermodynamic process. There are so many other factors at work that means it's not just as simple as like eat less and move more and all your problems will be solved, which is what everyone says, because it's just about the calories. No. First up, if we apply this law, then we're assuming that there aren't any other options for calories to be used except being burned or being stored. 
Like that's basically a true fact when it comes to carbohydrates, but not for fat and not for protein. They have other things to do in the body, like building muscles or transporting nutrients around the body or being broken down into whatever the body needs. That's not being burned or stored. It also assumes that your BMR, which is your basal metabolic rate, which is the amount of calories that you would burn in 24 hours if you stayed completely still in bed, like if you're in a coma, pretty much, that assumes that the BMR is stable and easily predictable. But that's not true. It's not true either. Like you might have had the experience where you've been on a weight loss journey and you found that, you know, it's harder to lose weight the smaller you get. And that's because your BMR slows down when you decrease your caloric intake because your body's trying to protect you, right? Like dieters burn less calories than non-dieters. I'm saying that again, dieters burn less calories than non-dieters because our bodies adapt. So like that's another flaw in it. And there are more, there are totally more, but like I said, I'm not entirely science educated enough to speak on them with any authority. So I'm just going to leave it at the basics, the stuff that I fully understand. And there are plenty of people out there who didn't hate science in school who can give you more information. But my biggest problem with the idea of calories in, calories out is that everyone acts like it's so simple. It's so easy. And like, there's no excuse not to be able to do it because most people try to live by this rule. They don't get the results that they're looking for or they can't stick with them long term. And they feel like a total failure when it doesn't work out for them. Like I've seen it, you've seen it, and we've probably all been guilty of it too. Plus, plus people judge others like those people in larger bodies and they don't believe them when they're saying that they eat a healthy diet and they exercise consistently and they think they must be lying. And yet there are plenty of people in smaller bodies who eat Maccas every day and they never exercise and we just accept that they've got a good metabolism. But of course, the person in a larger body can't use a slow metabolism as an excuse. Our brain has got such a huge impact on our behavior and on our bodily functions. But people who love this like calories in, calories out idea and this argument, they just love to completely ignore that and act like our bodies are machines. Spoiler alert, they are not. It doesn't work that way. Controversial opinion number three is relying on affirmations to make you love your body is a waste of time. Now, when people go on a self-love or a body acceptance journey and they've realized that actually that's like not all about changing the way you look in the mirror or losing weight to be able to get to that point, the go-to tool that everyone uses is generally speaking affirmations. Now, I like affirmations. I teach affirmations in the confidence code and I use them with my one-on-one coaching clients, but The power that we give to affirmations to change our life is wild and so overstated. Now, you might have tried affirmations in the past and felt like they didn't really do anything for you. So maybe you thought they were just like this silly, fluffy little tool that doesn't work. Or maybe you thought there was something wrong with you if they didn't work for you. But here's the thing. Standing in front of the mirror and saying, I am beautiful, I'm beautiful, I'm beautiful 87 times is not going to make you love yourself if your brain instantly goes... (laughs) Yeah, right. Are you joking? Look at you. Halloween must be coming early. Like instead of having a positive effect, all that's going to do is highlight what you perceive as lacking and put even more distance between you and achieving this goal of loving your body. If affirmations are all you're doing on your self-love journey, you are wasting your time. There are so many things you have to do before affirmations. So many things. Like if you haven't done that mindset work beforehand, you're paying lip service and you're not actually doing the work. So this is why I don't speak about affirmations until the seventh lesson of the confidence code, seventh, 
before we even mention affirmations. We've done all the deep mindset work. We've spoken about our paradigms, our subconscious mind, our limiting beliefs, our negative self-talk, our identity, our vision, and so much more. Because if you don't do that deep inner work, then affirmations just become this fluffy little surface level solution that doesn't do shit. So if you want to love and accept your body and you haven't dived deep into those things I just mentioned, if you aren't yet nailing those things and truly reprogramming your subconscious mind, you're wasting your time and you won't get to where you need to go for a very, very long time. And if you're like, what the heck is all of that and how do I do it? Pause this episode, go to the link in the show notes, book a free mini coaching session, and I will help you get started. Controversial opinion number four is emotional eating isn't a bad thing. And I know, I know emotional eating is probably the bane of your existence and you think that your negative relationship with food would just be all better if you could stop doing it, but you might not need to be as ashamed of this habit as you think you do. Like we turn to food because generally we have a need to be comforted. We use food to make us feel better when we're experiencing a negative emotion like stress or sadness or boredom or anything. And it can also be a desire for pleasure, like where you're focused on that pleasure and that satisfaction of eating, you know, before the guilt and the negative emotions kick in if it was a period of eating you didn't want to indulge in. And if you aren't getting your emotional needs met in life, it's really easy to turn to food to meet that need. Like it's accessible, it tastes good, gives us a hit of dopamine, all that good stuff. So there's nothing wrong with occasionally using food as a pick-me-up or a reward. Like eating is supposed to be a pleasurable experience. The only issue is when it becomes your primary emotional coping mechanism. Like that's when something needs to change. If you're just baking yourself some cookies because you had a nightmare customer at work and you just need some joy in your day, like go for your life, go for your life. But if you're inhaling the whole batch of cookies every single time someone upsets you, that's when it might be something that needs to be addressed. Like I think emotional eating just all gets tarred with the same brush. It's all branded as bad when in actual fact, it's not always like that. For a lot of us, we're more of the like baking cookies because we had a bad day and we need some joy category. For most of us, that's where we are. We've got other ways of handling negative emotions too, but sometimes we just want to inhale a block of chalky to make us feel better. I don't think that needs to be frowned upon. I don't think this should be a controversial opinion at all, but you know, I know how many, many people act like eating to soothe your negative emotions is akin to smacking someone over the head with a baseball bat. So, you know. Mm. And finally, controversial opinion number five is every single person can be happy, comfortable, and confident in their body exactly as they are, and the only thing stopping you is you. Okay, so I know this one sounds a bit harsh, but hear me out. We all have the capability to feel good in our bodies. We all have the capability to be okay with the way our body looks. We all have the capability to learn body acceptance, no matter what we look like. Like, I don't care what size you are, what shape you are, how much cellulite you have, what your abilities are, what color your skin is, whatever. We all have those capabilities if we choose to tap into them. And I'm not saying it's the same level of ease for everyone. Of course, that's not true. There are 100% more barriers for some people than for others. And yes, those barriers can be pretty significant. And I know that it's a heck of a lot easier for me as a cisgender, higher end of the straight size spectrum, but, you know, can still shop in plenty of stores, white woman, than it is for many other people. So I'm not trying to give off like a Kim Kardashian, everyone has the same 24 hours in a day kind of vibe here. Like I'm not. I'm fully aware of the privilege that I hold and I'm fully aware of the challenges that face so many other people. 
But I also truly believe that we all have that ability inside us. And some people might find it harder to access than others. Some people may have more barriers to knock over on the path to body acceptance, but it is there. It's really, really easy to put it in the too hard basket and say, well, it's fine for them, but I can't do it. And we all think that, you know, we're the special little snowflakes who just have too many things in our way when there are definitely people out there who have overcome way, way bigger hurdles than you. And they're now living as their most confident selves, no matter what they look like. Now, this is something that came up when I was launching the confidence code last time. I was chatting to a woman in the DMs who came along to my nourishment over punishment masterclass. We were talking about her struggles and how she could relate to a lot of what I was speaking about. She told me she agreed it was really, really sad that so many people can't accept themselves as they are and that, you know, there's plenty of beautiful women who needed to do the work to uncover that self-acceptance and be able to see that about themselves. But then she's like, oh, that's not relevant for me. She's, she told me that it wasn't relevant to her because she had an apron belly and no amount of self-love would take that away. And it really made me, with love, frustrated because I just wanted to be like, yeah, but that's the entire point. Like you aren't excluded from loving yourself or accepting yourself because you have an apron belly. You aren't excluded from loving and accepting yourself because you have big thighs or saggy boobs or because you're a size 30 or have scars or whatever. Like body acceptance isn't just for people who already fit that societal, you know, ideal body but can't see it. Body acceptance is for everyone. And it's not about taking away the thing that you perceive at flaw so then you can feel worthy. It's about learning that this flaw isn't actually a big deal doesn't actually say anything about who you are as a person. It doesn't have to rule your life and hold you back from being happy. Like the thing that was getting in the way of this woman being happy and comfortable and confident in her body was not her apron belly. It was her mindset. That is the thing holding her back. And like, this is nothing, nothing at all against this woman. Like I completely understand. And it's just one of many of the examples that I've come across It's the way that so many people think, and I've been there myself. It just takes coming to the understanding that you don't actually have to let that stop you. And you have the capability right now to feel the way that you want to feel. So those were my five controversial or unpopular opinions about food and bodies. Do you agree with me? Have you got any controversial opinions of your own? Like, come and share them with me. Come and share them in in my Instagram DMs, the link is in the show notes, or you can find me at inspire underscore underscore wellness. I love talking about this stuff and this is a fun episode to record. So I'm totally down for doing part two. If you guys have any ideas, come and chat to me, come and let me know, and I'll see you in the next episode.